Amen. You may be seated. Uh, it is good to be back uh, with you. Uh, thank you, Charlie. That is perfect. That is, I can probably take out a fourth of the sermon now. That was such a great call to worship. Uh, it is great to be back with you. My family, we've been gone since uh, June 4th, and we are glad to be uh, back in Knoxville, back with you guys. We had a wonderful summer. Uh, we were with about 20 university students from Tennessee and Washington, D.C. in Konkan, Thailand. Um, we were back where my family lived for a little over a decade out of about 15 years. We lived in this city. Uh, we were helping to start a campus ministry uh, at Konkan University, and we also planted a church there. In the summer, the church is actually celebrating their 25th anniversary of being a church in a place where uh, it's less than 1% of the population would profess to be believers. So it's a really big deal, and it's a really am amazing uh, privilege that my family had to be a part of this, you know, 25 years ago, and then even to be able to go back this summer and to see what the Lord has done uh, in this church. And so with that, this morning I'm not going to share a ton about our experience this summer, but I just want to share a little bit about what I believe God's vision for the world is, but then even us to, to expand on and to think about what is it, what would it be like, what would it be like to see more of the world come to know Jesus? And so uh, with no further ado, we're going to jump in and we're going to begin with this short video. So let's watch this together and then we'll jump into the Word. God went to great lengths to do this and how much God cares about people knowing him. You most likely already know this. And you probably live somewhere where people have a general understanding of this great love story between God and humanity. And if they don't know yet, there's probably somebody in town who can tell them. But did you also know that there are three billion people who will live and die without ever hearing this story? Not because they don't care, but because they don't have a choice. Nobody ever told them that once upon a time, God became a human just like them, so that he could teach them how to know their creator. 40% of the world doesn't know this, and they won't know this. Not unless something changes. Not unless someone goes to tell them. Jesus is our wonderful example. He left his natural home to come to us, and then he tells us to do the same thing. Because we love Jesus and care about the same things that he cares about, we care about this, that the whole world would know him that every tongue, tribe, and people group would come and be able to worship him. So the question is, are we doing this? Going out into the world to bring the gospel to every tongue, tribe, and nation? Well, kind of. While churches do send people out, almost half the world still doesn't have any access to the gospel. But how is this possible? Aren't there people being sent? Well, yeah. There are about 400,000 people serving across the world today. But only 3% of them are actually going to the 40% who have never heard about Jesus. The other 97%, they're going to places that have already heard about Jesus. There's an imbalance. That imbalance leaves only one person for each 250,000 people who have never heard about Jesus. Put another way, we have a spirit-led calling to rethink our focus. When you look at how we use our resources, such as money, the picture doesn't look that much better. To be specific, Christians around the world are giving about 2% of their income to Christian causes. And less than 7% of that is going to cross-cultural workers. And of that cross-cultural giving, only 1 one-hundredth of that 0.1% is actually going to those working with the 3 billion people who don't know Jesus, have no church, or any Christian neighbors. The other 99% of all cross-cultural giving goes to the rest of the world that already has Christians, Bibles, and churches. Are you seeing the imbalance? Only 3% of our workers with only 1% of our cross-cultural finances are going to the 3 billion people who have never heard about Jesus. So we have to ask ourselves, are we okay with this? We want those 3 billion people to hear about the kingdom of God and how much God loves them. 
There are 17,000 ethno-linguistic groups in the world. People who share language, culture, and common history. 7,000 of them are considered unreached people groups. These are entire cultures who have never heard the amazing story of how Jesus loves them and came to save them. God has called us to pay attention to this, to love and care for the same things that he does. He put this desire on our heart to see the unreached reached with the amazing story of the love of God. We want to see lasting local church planning movements begin among these people groups that brings renewal and transformation among these cultures and societies. Why? Because God has moved our hearts to see the gospel transform whole societies among the unreached. We know this task is bigger than us. Many of the areas that are in need of the gospel are difficult and resistant places. It isn't something that can be accomplished overnight, but by the power of the Spirit, we endeavor to preach the gospel where Christ is not known so that God can be worshiped by all peoples. So if you ever received a task that seemed impossible to accomplish. Have you? That sounds impossible to me. If I'm being honest, you know, I, I think when we hear the word billion, it doesn't strike us like it did just 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. There was this, when you hear the word billion, now it almost just seems like, yeah, we can we can do that. We're always talking about billions and billions, and, and it's fine. But, but a billion is a lot. It's a lot. And to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the billions of people that have never heard, it seems like an impossible task. Have you ever received a task that seemed impossible to accomplish? I know you have because I've heard you talk about IKEA furniture. Some of you have been challenged to kick the ball in the upper right-hand corner of the goal. To put this tent up in the dark while it's raining. You've been asked to forgive him, to forgive her. Seems like an impossible task. You've been asked to hold somebody's hand as they pass into eternity. We're praying for some families even here this week that have lost a mother recently. It seems impossible to think to be there with somebody and then help them to transition. It's the tasks that God puts in front of us to enter into seem impossible. To memorize scripture. I was in lots of plays growing up, and I've always had a hard time memorizing things, always. So no one wanted to be in a play with me because I knew what the play was about, and I knew what my part was about, so I would just say things that I thought my character should say. <laughs> so I gave people no cues <laughs> at all. When I try to memorize scripture, I tell you, it is, it is so hard for me. You know, to be fully honest, I think I have some type of learning disability when it comes to memorizing. I've tried all the tricks, all the things, but yet, still need to try to do that. But it seems impossible. We're called to raise God-fearing and God-loving and people-respecting children. Some days that feels really impossible. We are called to the task to share the gospel with everyone and anyone. It seems like an impossible task each month when you get the envelope or you get the, the notification in your inbox that the bills are due. How are we going to do this? How are we going to make ends meet? So we are inundated with tasks and asks that seem impossible to accomplish. And so we meander. We just meander. We just do what we gotta do. We say, you know, I know, I know there's these big calls, there's these things that I have to do, but I can get by 
meandering. I can just be a, a calm, gentle spring, which has its times and has its places. I can just do that. But there's times when God is asking us to, to jump in what seems to be a raging river and to trust him and to go. And sometimes it feels like he's asking us to jump into the depths of an ocean that seems really scary and dark and lonely. He calls us to many things. So we not only meander, we wait for someone else to do it. There's another player on the team that can do that penalty kick. There's somebody else on the team that can, in the troop, that could put the tent up. There's a sibling that can enter into this difficult situation rather than me. There's somebody else that can fill in the blanks. There's somebody else. But often the Lord is asking us to step out and do that hard thing, that difficult thing. And a lot of those things feel impossible. And sometimes we give it a shot, but we fall away quickly when it proves to be too hard. Sometimes I can feel that way about world missions. It really does. It starts to fit into a category of other people are doing it. Other churches are doing it. Other families are doing it. Other nations are doing it, because they are. South Korea sends missionaries to south, to us, to Georgia, Florida, Tennessee. Other countries are doing it. But if I'm super honest, it's not just the task of world missions. Even just domestic being local missionaries in my neighborhood, in my schools, in my children's activities, right here in Knoxville, it really does seem impossible sometimes when I hear me say to you and you say to me, we are going to be communities on mission. We are going to do this, 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 so that Knoxville will know, so that the surrounding counties will know, so the state will know. Then we're just like, I mean, really? I mean, it sounds good. But man, when I try to talk to one of my coworkers at lunch, that's so hard. When I try to share the gospel with my dad, whew, that's so hard. And Jesus is telling me to think about families on the other side of the world that I have no relationship with, that I don't know. How in the world am I so, even to think about them or even enter in? How can I, just a kid from Smyrna, Georgia, how can I be a part of seeing someone on the other side of the world enjoy Jesus, invest in others, and make disciples in all areas of life. How can I do that? Well, we're going to walk through some scriptures, and we're going to think about world vision, and we're going to think about the things that Jesus has called us to, and we're going to be reminded that Jesus indeed is the Lord of the harvest. Let me pray for us and we're going to jump in. God, I just thank you for your word. I pray that you would protect my lips, my tongue. Lord, may our motivation be for your glory. May we not function out of fear and shame and guilt, but may we function out of deep enjoyment of you. And may we hear your call. And may we desire to be obedient. And would you show us that you are the Lord of the harvest? Would you give us a heart for the world that does not know you? And would you let us go into the nations? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look at Matthew 28, 16 through 20 again. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw them, they worshipped him. But some doubted. 
And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So they worshiped him, okay? The 11 came to him and they worshiped him. World missions, world vision begins with worship. Often we begin with just thinking of the task. This seems impossible. But we have to go deep into the why. Why do we want people all around the world from my doorstep to the thresholds of the furthest places that we could ever go, why do we want them to know Jesus? It is because God is worthy to be worshiped. And we know that when we worship him, there is a satisfaction that happens. And we know the only way that we can truly worship him is if we know him through Christ. Now to be clear, that's not absolutely true. Here on this earth, the only way we will truly ever worship him is gonna be through Christ. But there is gonna be a day where the believers and those that don't know Christ, there will be a time when every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There will be a worship where most of us in this room are saying, Lord, praise God, I can worship you as the king of the world, my king, my God, my savior, my lover, I thank you. And the hideous, awful doctrinal truth of hell is there will be many people acknowledging, God, you are on your throne and you are worthy and I do not know you and cannot be with you and this is eternal torment. Missions begins with worship. There are people all around the world that are worshiping dollars, the yen, the Thai bot. Name whatever currency you know. They're worshiping that. Why do we know that? Because we worship the dollar. There's people all over the world worshiping so many idols, but they're not worshiping Jesus. Again, why do we know that? Because even as a believer in Jesus Christ, I am faced with idols every day. But missions begins and starts with worship. I am a believer in Christ first and many other things after that. But within the top things of how I would describe myself, I would describe myself as a Piperian. I love the teachings of John Piper. I don't agree with him on everything he says, but there's something that God did with this man in my life as a college student that helped me to see the world bigger for the glory of God, but for the nations to know Jesus. And I read this in a book when I was in college back in the 90s, and it has stuck with me. The goal of the church isn't missions, but worship. Missions exist because worship doesn't. So our goal is to see people worship Christ, to know Jesus. And so we have to have a missions plan. But if all we do is have a missions plan, but don't remember it is about worship, our plans will not be fortified. It will not be fueled by the fact that we love Jesus and enjoy him. It will be, let us check off the boxes to do the things that it seems like we need to do. But we cannot forget that God will not have any other gods before him. And sometimes our lofty mission goals can be idolatrous. Our goals are that God would be known and loved and worshipped. And praise God that we can strategize, think, plan, give, send, and go. But God will be worshipped. So they worshipped him. The disciples came and they worshipped him. 
They got to spend some time with Jesus, walking from village to village, seeing him do miracles, hearing his comfort to them as they were being wayward. They knew Jesus, and then Jesus was killed, and he rose from the dead, and now here they are on this mountain as they talked about, and they worshiped him. They worshiped him. So we go out as worshipers into the world. And secondly, we go out as laborers and workers. But primarily, we go out as worshipers. And we're laboring and working, but we're always to be worshipers. This passage says, but some doubted. But some doubted. World missions is filled with doubting. These are his boys These are the disciples. These are the guys that he was running with. They came and they worshiped him, but some of them were like, "Mm, you're calling us to do something big. What is going on? There was still a little bit of element that John the Baptist had when Jesus was out ministering. John the Baptist said in Matthew 11, 3, we don't have this passage, but John the Baptist said this. He said, He sent one of his disciples to go find Jesus. Go ask Jesus this. Go ask my cousin this. Are you the Messiah? Or should we look for somebody else? Because it really doesn't seem like you're doing all these big Messiah things. Should we be looking for somebody else? Doesn't look like it's together. Now I'm adding some words. John the Baptist didn't say all that. But he did say... Are you the one? And if not, we believe that he's to come, so should we keep looking? And Jesus sends back word, basically quoting the Old Testament, quoting himself from years ago. Basically, yeah, that's me. That's me. And John the Baptist was like, all right, let's go. Cut my head off. But some doubted. World missions is filled with a lot of doubting. So maybe we're like John the Baptist. But maybe within that, this doubt, there's a wrestling. There's a wrestling within our souls of what do do I believe? Jesus, are you, I've been going through this on a personal level. Are you really who you say you are? Just know that you're in good company if you ever doubt. But also know that Jesus is there ready to help you to see that he is the real deal. He is the Messiah, and he can help you. There's a book by Barnabas Piper. Just happens to be John Piper's son. Um, Leave me alone. (laughs) Just happens to be Piper's son. He is a Piper. But it's called Help My Unbelief. Why doubt is actually not always the enemy of faith. So I'm going to ask you, as your friend, I'm going to ask you as a pastor of the church and also an elder of the church, if you're struggling in your doubts, is Jesus who he says he is? Is this Bible real? I'm going to ask you to come and talk to me. Talk to Luke. Talk to one of our elders. Talk to somebody in your calm group. Don't sit in those things and try to figure them out all on your own. Please come talk to us. So we doubt. And we're saying we need to reach the whole world. How am I going to reach the whole world if I've got some doubts just about my own life? But there's other types of doubts with world missions. Other doubts we have about being involved with world missions could be like this. But I'm an ordinary person. Missionaries are extraordinary. Let me tell you this. As a foreign missionary living overseas, knowing myself and knowing every missionary that I ever met, I promise you, we're not that extraordinary. Now, something that might mark us is collectively and most other people that I've met that are doing that type of work, there is a, I'm taking God at his word. I'm taking God at his word. There's some other similarities, but... If you're an ordinary person, that is actually, I believe, who God is calling because you know why? 
you're able to sit down with ordinary people on the other side of the world and have ordinary conversations that move into extraordinary conversations about life and salvation. As I speak, relate all these things even to right here in Knoxville. But again, we can't just have a vision for just right here. It's gotta be, it's gotta be expanded to the whole world. I'm just an ordinary person. Ooh, I have a family and a job. I'm an IT administrator. I'm a doctor. I'm telling you, I could find you all kinds of jobs in different parts of the world where Jesus is not being made known. You make more money. It's not why we do it. It's not why we do it. You can make a whole lot less money. So again, that's not why we do it. But sometimes the thing that holds us back is our family. I'm married. I have children. Remember, there are lots of neighborhoods and future neighbors on the other side of the world that will see the way that you love your children. And they'll say, I've never seen a dad enter into a relationship with his son like that. I've never seen that before. So God using families... God using professionals to go into all the world doesn't have to be a barrier. I don't have the funds. Don't worry about it. We'll get you the funds. I'm a bad language learner. I failed Spanish in high school. I can speak fluent Thai. God will make a way. Mm, You know, it's just for somebody else. It's just for somebody else. Well, I I think what if we all said that? What if we all just keep saying, going into the least reached places of the world, that's for somebody else? That's where a lot of our doubts come from. That it, surely it's not me. It can't be me. And we can have a long list. So now we see in this passage that Jesus spoke to them. Not only does he show up and they worship and they doubt, some doubted, but he spoke to them. So don't miss this. The God who spoke everything into existence, this world, everything into existence, is standing in front of these men and their families and other people, and he is speaking to them. He's speaking to them. Just That's the point. God is talking to them. Even those that are doubting. He knew they were doubting. He didn't say, okay... Now it's time for only these. The rest of you, I, know, I see your hearts. I know everything about you. You're dismissed. This challenge is not for you. This is too much for you. Nope. He spoke to all of them. The God of the universe. But what did he say? What did he say to everyone in that moment? This is what he said. He said, go. There's been a lot of friendly debate over the years on what go means. But you can't miss that Jesus says go, and, and then the where, it says all nations. You just can't. It, we, as we go, yes, go, it is a, as I'm going, tell people about Jesus, 100%. But there is a thinking, planning, and saying we're desiring to actually go. So Jesus spoke to them. He said to go. So in this go, St. Augustine said years and years and years ago, he said, okay, God, command what you will and grant what you command. You were commanding us in this passage, you were commanding us to go. You're telling us you must go into all the world, to all the nations. You must do that. Okay, command us to do it. God, you have to grant it. You have to make it happen. You have to help us. You have to be the one doing this. So it feels impossible. He tells us to go. And when he says go into all nations, that is every nation. But as we saw in the video, it's not just geographical borders. The nations are, are people groups ethnicities, on and on. There are over 7,000 different people groups. 
the, the people group that we were a part of, that we, that we labored with in Thailand, they're called the Isan people. Out of those 7,000 people groups, they're in the top 50 most unreached people groups in the world. I only met one person over, in over a decade of meeting people on the campus. I only met one person that said that they were a Christian. Every nation, every people group, we are to go. But what are we to do? We are to make disciples. We are to make disciples. So this is a learning process, and one of the best ways to learn how to make disciples is to be one yourself. Find someone to, to teach you, to establish you in the basics of the faith. What, what do we believe as a church? You can go on our website and just see the things that we believe, but get, come within your comm group and say, I, I don't quite understand why we believe this. Let's talk about it. So to be established in the basics of what we believe. But then to also start moving into being equipped. How can I help someone else to know Christ? How can I help someone else to study the Bible? How can I share the, how can I share the gospel of Jesus? So it's a learning process, and it takes time. Some of the things that we miss in the New Testament, in Acts, and in, in, even in the life of Jesus, is how long some of these missionary journeys were how long Paul was in certain places. Don't miss that. Sometimes we think it needs to happen this fast. We need to be X, Y, and Z by this time. But you gotta remember, Paul went to some places and it took years for it to get to a place where he felt like it was okay for the church to to keep doing it and it still took years and he had to write them letters of saying, hey, it looks like you're balling it all up. It takes time, it's hard. It's hard, but we are to go into all the nations and make disciples. We're to baptize people. We're to show them that they are part of the family of God. We're to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We are commanded and told that we are to teach them all that I've commanded you. It says, teaching them all that I've commanded you. And that seems pretty impossible by itself. If Jesus just listed out, and you know what? I've told y'all a whole lot of things, and I'm just going to shuck it down to one thing. Teach him this. He didn't do that. He said, teach them all that I've commanded you. So that seems impossible by itself. So there's a long time of establishing people, not only going to the least reached places, but helping them to see for a lifetime the things that Christ is teaching us. And then Jesus says, and behold, I am with you always. I think without this, and behold, I'm with you always, I would really have a harder time with the task that God is calling us to do it really would feel like we have to get it together. It really would feel like that I need to make sure you're doing everything that you're supposed to be doing. Now, to a degree, I want to help you do that. But the fact is, is that Jesus is saying, I'm with you. I'm with you. Jesus is saying, he says in other passages, he says there's other sheep of this fold, of the fold, and he says, I too must bring them in. But he's going away. But he says, I'm going to be the one that brings them in. And he does that through us because he is with us. So I think that when he says, and behold, it's like him saying, and shazam. He's saying, boom, I am with you. Okay, okay. It seems less impossible now. Now it seems more like a puzzle. How are we going to do this? How can we enter in? Acts 1.8 says this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. 
So this is the power. It seems impossible. We see what the fuel is. The fuel is missions. The fuel is Jesus being with us, yes. But there is a power, the Holy Spirit being with us to be witnesses here in Knoxville, in surrounding counties, the state, the nation, into all the world. We will receive power. We have received the power of Christ. The Holy Spirit, God Almighty, lives within us and gives us power to be his witnesses into all the world, to be missionaries here and there. 1 Timothy 2.2. Let's think a little bit about the method. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So men and women are Christ's method to reach the world, to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. You are his method. You are his child. You're the one he loves, so sometimes it's hard to hear, I'm his method? Like, yeah, he wants to use you to bless others. He has a plan. He wants to use people to invest in people. You've heard it, you've heard it said, he truly could just write it in the sky with, with clouds, with lightning bolts that never stop lightning. It could just be in the words, writing it all out, what we need to do every morning. He could do that over the Esan people. But he calls us to be the ones to go, to be the light, to be the heat, to be the ones to speak of the goodness of Jesus. So I want to share real quickly about my friend. His name is Thong. So it was 2010. And Am, this girl, she was at one of our universities in Konkan, Thailand. Uh, she had a lot of questions about following Jesus because we had met her and Sano and Honey, Snow and Honey, two of our staff girls, had been talking with her and sharing the gospel with her. And Jesus was showing her, the Holy Spirit was convicting her through the word. The Father was drawing her in. She gave her life to Christ. Thong didn't like this because that was his girlfriend. So she's up here in northeast Thailand. He's down here at the beach working. And he gets word of this. And he comes up to Konkan, and he has a lot of questions. He has a lot of doubts. He has a lot of fear. You're, you're, I'm going to lose my girlfriend. <laughs> this cannot work. She cannot be a Christian and me a Buddhist. This cannot work. And I know that she's going to start to see that I'm really not a great guy because she's fallen in love with this other dude, and I don't know who he is, and this seems really weird. She's fallen in love with Jesus. So one of our staff, uh, and we were there at the time. I'm seeing, I'm seeing all this happening. One of our staff families, the Thai staff, invited him over for dinner. He wouldn't eat the food. He wouldn't drink the water because he thought it was poisoned. He didn't know how brainwashing worked, but he thought that's how it worked. Drink the water, and then you all of a sudden believe something else. Eat the food, and you believe something else. So he wouldn't eat it. And he finally told us that. Not too long after that, it's like basically saying, I don't trust y'all. He began to be furious. He began to see that he was losing his best friend, his girlfriend. So he contemplated and planned how to burn our church down. We had built this church in about 2000, 2009. We had been there for almost a decade as a, uh, as a church. And we built this church. 
picture a gym where you can play soccer inside. That was our church. He was contemplating, how can I destroy this church? And God saved him. And when we were back this summer, I'm sitting in the church. And guess who's preaching about Mary and Martha and sitting at the feet of Jesus? This dude. I've seen things that seem impossible, and so have you. To have a dude that was so scared, was filled with so much rage, so much confusion, was going to act out upon it, to be saved, and then 13 years later, 12 years later, he's preaching on, hey, sit at the feet of Jesus. Sit at the feet of Jesus. Men and women are God's method to reach the world. So Thong received Christ, and then he began to be discipled. He began to not only see that Christ loved him, he began to love Christ even more and enjoy him. And yes, he began to invest in others, and he began to make disciples. And he has two children and the oldest one loves going and playing soccer with all of these other lost kids in our church through the week. And Thong is telling them about Jesus. Let's look at Matthew 9, 35 through 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching them in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and, he and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds... He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So we are called to worship. We are called to go. We, are, we see in this short passage before this that God wants to use us to be the ones to go, but we're seeing a need. The need, it's a lack of laborers. It's a lack of workers. And that lack is happening right here in Knoxville. We are to give our lives away. We are to be salt and light to where we are to tell people about Jesus. And so we ask one another, how can I, how can I be salt and light? How can I be a laborer? And sometimes you might think, well, well, Mark, it's easy for you to say you're a professional Christian. You work for a campus ministry. You're associate pastor. You, surely, you, you get it. You have to do this. Well, I'm telling you that you have to do this. I've done this here before, I'm not going to do it now, but if most of us raised our hands, if I asked the question, how did you come to faith, it's not going to be because you heard me preach or Luke preach. It's going to be because somebody told you, an ordinary person told you about Jesus. Luke and I are ordinary, but you know what I'm saying. It's your task. It's my task. And it feels impossible, but it's not. There's a need. And so we begin with praying earnestly praying earnestly. Jesus says, this is where you start. You pray earnestly. For what? For laborers to go into the harvest. Listen to this quote about jobs in America. If every unemployed person in the country found a job, we would still have four million job openings. The job market is plentiful. But even if all the people that can work go and do it, there's still so much work to be done in the United States of America for us to do the things that we need to do. So when we think about the Great Commission and we think about the imbalance of where our resources are, where our people are, where the majority of the world's Christians are focusing in, there's an imbalance but if every one of us in this room labored in the harvest and shared the gospel consistently here in Knoxville, there would still be billions of people lost all over the world. 
So it still feels impossible. But it's actually not. Because he is the Lord of the harvest. We're not looking for a politician to figure out how to make America continue to be what it is and to grow and to do all the things. We're not looking for a teacher to just start teaching our kids the right things in our public school. We have a Lord of the harvest. We have a Lord of this world. We have a God who sits on his throne and he will complete the mission. There are people from every tongue, tribe, and nation that will come to know Christ. He will draw them in. So the question really isn't, will he do it? The question is, do we get to be a part of it as a church? Because I'm telling you, we could choose to not do it here in Knoxville. We can meander. And we could choose to not do it in the far-reached places of the world. We could choose not to do it. But we're not choosing that. We are saying, Lord, help us. Help us. Abraham Kuyper, one of his most famous quotes, he says, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. The harvest is his. So therefore, our methods have to be saturated with his ways, with his compassion, with his mercy, with his grace. He is the Lord of the harvest. So why do I know that this is something that we can do? Because he is the Lord, he commands us to do it, and I believe he will grant us the opportunity to be a part of it. But it's the difference between addition and multiplication. And I'm not going to show you the chart today. We'll do that another time. But it's not just one person sharing with one person and it stops there. It's multiplication. It's the difference between just passing on information and discipling someone. It's the difference between just catching a fish and teaching someone to fish. When I was growing up, there was this little hole-in-the-wall pizza place called Dante's Pizza. There's a whole Facebook page of people from Smyrna and Marietta, Georgia, that go there. It's kind of, it, it's, it's borderline idolatrous, but we go there and we say, yes, we miss you, Dante. He, he passed away, but that pizza, there's no other pizza like this. We don't know where to go. We're freaking out. We need this pizza, but on the wall, on the wall, this little hole-in-the-wall place, he had a plaque that many of you have seen this, quote, give a man a fish and you feed him for what? A day. Teach a man to fish and you feed him for how long? A lifetime. Give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. It said, it, it said anonymous. I don't know who made the quote. That's at least what Dante had on the wall. And so I feel, I, I feel the freedom to add to it. So a few years ago, I added to it. So not only give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. Not only teach a man to fish, feed him for a lifetime. But teach a man, to teach a man how to fish, you feed the world. Well, feed the world. So church, beloved, friends, what I'm saying today is that we are to be a part of this great commission. But we have to learn how to do that. And unless you've been trained, I don't expect you to know really how to share the gospel. I do expect you to know how to simply tell someone, all I know is I was blind, but now I see. Let's talk more about this. Let's read the Bible. But there are some methods that we can learn together. How to pray, how to share the gospel. So here's a picture, and we're going to close out. The guy on the far right, that's Rocky. Rocky gave his life to Christ about five years ago down at Maryville College. So I work with Campus Outreach, and, and Maryville College is one of the places that I do most of my fishing. I, got our, I help get our ministry started at the University of Tennessee. Most of my work with Campus Outreach is over the state and helping our staff 
uh, to be healthy, have healthy marriages, and to do the work on the campuses, but I get to go fish. I get to still be a part of grassroots within the ministry of campus outreach. So Rocky gave his life to Christ. He graduated. I was able to uh, do premarital counseling with, with he and his wife, uh, did their marriage ceremony. They got married. Uh, he's a baseball coach, moved off, was coaching in two different places up north. His dream job was to come back to Maryville and to coach at Maryville College. Well, he came back last December, and it's what I've been praying for. Because Rocky, Rocky's one of those guys that when I sat down with him after he gave his life to Christ outside of the locker room, after a Bible study, he was like, Mark, do you really believe in hell? And I said, I promise you if there wasn't a hell, I would not be in your stinky locker room at 9 o'clock at night. I promise you that. Yes, I believe there's a hell. But what are you really asking? He's like, I think I need to give my life to Christ. I think I need to follow him. He gave his life to Christ. We would start walking through this very simple discipleship material. We're sitting down, and I'm talking to him about multiplication. He said, you know what, Mark? This is a lot like Amway. (laughs) No offense if you sell Amway, this is just what he said, I'm quoting Rocky. He said, but it's good. (laughs) It's a good pyramid method. He's like, but is it a scheme? I said, no, it's not a scheme. It's a method, and it makes sense. You learn these things, and then you can go teach other people these things. But if you're just wanting me to be the baseball chaplain, and that's where it stops, we're not going to reach your team. We're not going to reach this campus. You're not going to go out. And so he's been doing that at the different places where he's gone to be a coach. Uh, We're getting together this Friday. His truck went out on him, so it's to to be determined. But we're supposed to meet up this Friday to talk about a plan for the baseball team and what we're going to do. These other guys that are right here with him, these are guys that, that came into college as baseball players that were already believers but it never learned how to share their faith. Does anybody know where this place is right here? It's the island in Pigeon Forge. So Rocky called me last spring. He said, Mark, you know how, you know how on some of these summer projects y'all go out and tell people about Jesus because his wife actually went on one of these summer projects with us. He's like, would you, would you go with me and some of the baseball guys and can we go, can we go to the island and tell people about Jesus? I was like, yes. Who asks for that? Who asks for that? Yes. The harvest is plentiful, but here's a laborer. Here's a laborer that's that's laboring. And here's the thing. On my way out, I'm talking to Chaz on the phone. (laughs) I'm like, dude, I'm so scared. It is scary every single time I walk into a cafeteria to meet somebody new, to tell them about Jesus. It is hard. And Chaz is like, yeah, it's one of the most awkward things. You're basically, if if you're, you know, somewhere like this, you're basically coming up to somebody that's on vacation, and you're basically saying, let me ruin your day. You are chilling. Maybe you're a Christian, and I'm ruining your day. But maybe you're not a Christian and I'm hopefully not ruining your day, but you're now going to be, you're now going to be hearing the sounds of the Lord saying, you must repent and have faith. It's hard. It feels impossible. But we go, we go, and we go. So what are we doing? In closing, what are we doing to help reach the world with the gospel? What are we doing here at Legacy? Here are just a couple of things from my observations of what we're doing. One, we're preaching the word and the glorious gospel of Jesus every Sunday morning. As a family gathered, the gospel of Jesus Christ is going forth. Two, and this is in no particular order, and it's not on the screen. Two, we're helping each other raise children to know and love Jesus. That's a big deal. I really believe if if I'm thinking about us having a world vision and a strategy of a church, it really will be a lot of 
our children in their adult years, if they're staying a part of our community here in Legacy, they will be a lot of the ones who are the ones going and doing the things. We are at a certain place in our going and sending phase as a young church. So that's scary for some of you. In other words, I just say, we're planning on sending your children into the least reached places of the world one day. You're like, no, that's my child. And I'm like, yes, that is your child. But what a prayer that would be. Lord, if it is your will, would you send my child one day into the least reached places of the world? Three, helping each other to enjoy Jesus, invest in others, and make disciples in every area of life here as a large family on Sunday mornings and also through our living room comm groups. Four, we're investing in other ministries and churches. We're investing financially in other ministries and churches. We're investing in other types of partnerships, whether it's coming alongside some other pastors and encouraging them, whether it's coming into some churches and, and, and walking through some difficult times. Five, we, are, we have sent out a church from right here. Many of you remember us having Chris and his family and other families right here on the stage. It was a lot of people. We sent them out in their citizens church right here in Knoxville. We sent a church out. What if, and this isn't our plan, that this, uh, elders were praying and thinking, but how amazing would it be that within every eight years to every decade that we had the opportunity to send at least one church out within Knoxville? It would be amazing. Six. We're partnering with two churches in Thailand in the, in the top 50 most unreached people groups. Covenant Church, Konkan, although it doesn't sound like it's a church plant, you got to remember, although it's been there for 25 years, it is one of the only places of light and heat and warmth in this city. And out of that, we have sent a team to Udon Tiny, another city within the Isan people and they are beginning, they've realized, okay, we have to plant a church again. Not only are we going to be a campus ministry. So we just decided over this past week that we are going to partner with them. We want to financially give to their efforts. But me and some of you, every so often, will get to get on an airplane and go and sit down with them and not tell them how to do all the stuff, but get to see how they're doing it and bring it back here. And we'll get to encourage them as brothers and sisters in Christ. So how do we see the glorious gospel in these passages? Because of our time, I'm gonna limit it, limit it to just a couple of these. How do we see the glorious gospel in these passages? One, we see that Jesus succeeded perfectly in the impossible task. The impossible task, Jesus came and he saved people, and he continues to do that. He's done the hardest thing already, and he promises to complete the mission. Our vision is only possible and approachable because Jesus' promises to finish the mission are certain. Jesus has and will accomplish the mission of redemption for people all over the world. So Jesus was the original gospel gangsta. He's the original missionary. He did what he is asking us to do. He's already done it. Jesus left the comforts of heaven to be spit on, beaten, and have nails driven into his body. So we too, even when we look at the disciples, we too doubt, but we're reassured, and so we go. Jesus was with the disciples, and he is with us. So as the worship band comes up and as we enter into a time of worship, I just want us to think about this. Part of the gospel message here today is that Jesus commands us to get the gospel message out into all the world. He commands us to get this gospel message out into all the world. But is it okay for me to pray that God would send one to three families from right here 
into some of the least reached places of the world. Is it okay for me to pray that? Can I? I need a, I need a, a couple of nods. Can I pray that God would send at least one family, one individual, to three over the next X amount of years? We don't have to put years on it, but within the, within the next 10 years, let's maybe put a, put a year on it. But what if God did that? So why not? Why not it be us? Why not Legacy Church sending families out into the least reached places of the world? Let's pray to that end. Let's pray that we would reach families here in Knoxville. People would come to Christ, and even that some of them, the individuals, the families, that they would be the ones that six years from now that we are actually sending to a least reached place of the world. God does it all the time. He does. And I believe he wants to do that with us. In newsflash, he is doing that through us.